Hello, and welcome to Global Journalists, a show by journalists, about journalists, and for journalists, and the people who depend on our work. I'm Isaac Robinson, one of this episode's producers. Today, we'll be taking a look at the U.S. presidential election, but from a different perspective. Over the past few weeks, students in Professor Beverly Horvitz's international reporting class at the Missouri School of Journalism have chatted with reporters from about 20 different countries about how people from outside the United States are responding to this year's campaign. Most of the journalists have visited and trained in the U.S. as part of the Humphrey Fellows Program, sponsored by the U.S. State Department, or the Friendly Fellows Program, based at MU. First, we will look at whether or not countries understand how the U.S. elections work. Does the Electoral College make sense to them? What is their perception of how the U.S. runs its elections? We also asked about elections in their countries and if citizens of their nations have a preferred candidate for U.S. president this year. We are now joined by Fernando Naro to discuss what we found. Fernando, welcome. Glad to be here. Let's jump right into this year's elections and answer the big question on everyone's mind. What did these journalists say when asked if their fellow citizens prefer one presidential candidate over another? Well, people in different countries prefer one or the other based on national interests. Each candidate has potential benefits to each country, and I'll use the case of Haiti as an example. Pierre Dupinor said many Haitians took advantage of a program called Temporary Protected Status, or TPS. That allowed them to leave Haiti after the country was devastated by an earthquake in 2010. The Trump administration ended TPS for Haitians in 2017. Dupinor said that's why a majority of people in Haiti prefer Biden. Haitian people, they, they genuinely think that with Democrats, they will have um, smooth immigration policy that can benefit to Haitian people. As you know, we have more than one, one million of Haitians living in the U.S. and part of them are undocumented people. So part of them as well live under a TPS regime. So it's, I don't know if it's, it's a perception that Democrat will, will, fa- will be more favorable toward Haitian people, the Haitian community. Juan Luis García Hernández, a reporter from Mexico, made a similar point, but added that what makes Mexicans favor Joe Biden is not only what they perceive as better immigration policies, but the rhetoric towards Mexicans that President Trump uses. There's actually been some polls, and Reforma, one of the largest newspapers in the country, did one in July, and 66% of people prefer Joe Biden over Trump. A lot of it has to do with the president's rhetoric being aggressive and belligerent toward Mexicans, especially over the last campaign. And those insults, those verbal aggressions have remained in Mexicans' collective memory.
So what are some reasons people would prefer President Trump? I'll give you an example. In South Africa, journalist Savensile Nakambule told us President Trump's rhetoric, like build the wall and close the borders, resonates with people who think immigrants from countries like Zimbabwe and Malawi are taking jobs away from South Africans. This message of keep them out, you know, um, they, they're taking our jobs, uh, close the borders, that kind of rhetoric resonates with people like that, right? So you have people who listen to Trump and think, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a leader. We saw the same thing in the Philippines as well. Camila Lemia said it's difficult to tell who the majority of Filipinos support because support for President Trump is real among many in the island nation. But in my opinion, the most remarkable assessment came from Alexei Gorbachev, a journalist from Russia. He mentioned the way President Trump has handled protests for social justice, specifically the Black Lives Matter movement. There are Russians who see him as a strong leader because of the aggressive rhetoric and willingness to use force in these situations. Gorbachev says they are well-received by Russians. These protests, uh, it made people feel like that Trump is the candidate who will be able to control it just because of his statements. Uh, like here in the U.S., you can understand that it's like just a kind of a populism and like, like it looks cheap and he hardly can implement any of what he proposes rather than lead to more tensions. But in Russia, it, he looks like as a strong leader who is willing to control the situation. This example illustrates what many experts have pointed out over the past few years, a growing trend globally of people being drawn to authoritarian leaders. So now, let's talk about the election process in the U.S. What was the general perception of the journalists our class talked to? Did they think people outside the U.S. understand how the U.S. elects a president? Lots of journalists said the outcome of the 2016 election confused people in their countries and brought some of the differences to light. Most of their countries have a system in which one of two things happen. They either elect a leader to a national election, the winner being the person who gets the most votes, or they have parliamentary systems, in which the head of government in their countries is the person who leads the majority party. So it didn't make sense when Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but lost the election. Here's something Noreen Shams, a journalist from Pakistan, told us. So that was very hard for us to understand that how popular vote uh, actually won by Hillary Clinton in 2016, but electoral college voting was uh, very much a high margin for uh, Donald Trump, so he got uh, win. The, he had to win the election. So lots of people still don't understand the U.S. election process, but there are many people now who have learned about the electoral college, and even though they may not understand it fully, they know the U.S. election process is unique. Very interesting stuff there. Thanks, Fernando. Thanks. Now, we will be going to our reporter, Jack Kozowski, who has focused on the ways people in other countries are getting news about the election. We wanted to know how different platforms are being used and how the message changes from platform to platform. In addition, we asked journalists how social media affects the election news 
and the elections in their country. Thanks for joining us, Jack. Thank you, Isaac. People all over the world are interested in the U.S. election for many different reasons. Some people are watching more closely than others, and they're getting news in a variety of ways. Yeah, so what are some of the different ways people are getting news about the U.S. election? And what are some of the impacts? Where people go to get their information about the U.S. election varies a lot from country to country. Uh, Typically, people get their news about the election from Western media, state-run agencies, or social media. In Vietnam, for example, many people get their news from online sources, but the stories are translated from traditional U.S. media sources, say, for example, like the New York Times or the Washington Post. This is because state-run media doesn't cover the U.S. elections very thoroughly. Journalist Ha Thai Thu Tran describes the U.S. election coverage in Vietnam. In my observation, the U.S. presidential elections is one of much other daily news in Vietnam, especially on the internet, uh, except for the researchers, uh, readers who love political news. Uh, most readers and viewers see news about the U.S. presidential elections as uh, as daily news, not too hot. Uh, they watch with having the more information and because of uh, curiosity. Um, so I think um, the online uh, newspapers explode and translate elections news from different U.S. press sources such as the New York Times, uh, U.S. Today, Washington Post, uh, AP, uh, and uh, the U.S. elections handle in the form of news not too intensive, uh, primarily via state media that don't cover too much these elections in Vietnam. Interesting. And what about social media? Are there a lot of people who are getting their news from social media now? Yes, and it's interesting because different countries have different relationships with news on social media. In some countries with strict government regulation of news, people are turning to social media for their news because it's not affiliated with government-run media. People in these countries feel social media is one of the only places to find unbiased news. Russian journalist Alexei Gorbachev said this during an interview. Social media is one of the sources where uh, people can get unbiased information or, or like alternative information and mostly like Russian opposition and those who are against the government, they uh, get information from social media. Just a reminder that you're listening to Global Journalists. I'm Isaac Robinson, one of the producers of this week's show. In this episode, we're talking to journalists from around the world about how they and their countries are responding to this year's U.S. presidential campaign. You can hear more global journalists on KBIA.org, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter and Spotify. And you can check out our website at globaljournalist.org. Now, back to today's program. We just heard Russian journalist Alexei Gorbachev describe social media as an antidote to state-run news networks in his country. In other countries, people see social media as a landscape for unverified and just factually incorrect information 
Journalist Juan Luis Garcia Hernandez from Mexico explains some of these issues with social media in his country. Especially on older generations, a lot of the content and viral text they see on WhatsApp is taken as facts. The issue does not seem to be of an educational gap, but an inability to discern what is a trustworthy source. Whatever they see online is taken as fact, especially if there isn't anyone from their personal inner circle to fact-check that information. And that's a big problem. And this brings up the concept of media literacy. With so many different media sources publishing news stories, people have a difficulty discerning the difference between credible stories and the ones that are just factually incorrect. So are there people who aren't following the U.S. elections and why? Yeah, and there's people around the world that just don't follow the U.S. elections. And there's a few different reasons as to why this is the case. Well, one of the biggest reasons is that the U.S. election only makes the news when it relates to the people within the country. Kiran Somvanshi, a journalist from India, explains this. Um, if you are looking at, like, let me be honest, uh, for an average Indian, it doesn't matter, you know. It, they, do, they don't follow, but uh, depending on what the latest news is from Trump, if there is any tweet or something which directly impacts India, then definitely it makes news. Like um, Kamala Harris recently became the nominee for the Democrats for the vice president position. So that was uh, a development that was intensely followed by the Indian media as well as the people. Yeah, because she was, uh, she is from an Indian origin family. This was also true in the 2008 and the 2012 election. Paul Uduto Nyungesa, a journalist from Kenya, said the Kenyan people followed these elections particularly closely because President Barack Obama's father was from Kenya. So we've seen people getting their election news in a lot of different ways. And it's really important to look at the different ways people get news because each platform has its advantages, but also its disadvantages. Thank you, Jack, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Up next, we have Isabella Paxson, who will be discussing the impacts of the U.S. election on different parts of the world. Thank you for joining us, Isabella. Thank you for having me. So we've already discussed earlier how people around the world view the U.S. election, but does it actually affect them? Yes, of course. The U.S. election affects people's lives all over the world in a lot of different ways. Some of the biggest things people are concerned about are trade, aid, immigration, and other symbolic reasons. Okay, well, which should we start with first? See, it's interesting because the relationships countries have with the U.S. for trade, aid, and immigration are interconnected. A lot of countries mention the importance of a bilateral relationship with the U.S., which is essentially both countries agreeing to recognize each other as countries and then regulating things like trade, aid, and immigration. The dynamic of this relationship varies from country to country. The U.S. has the biggest economy in the world, and this creates a power imbalance for a lot of countries. 
Many countries rely partially on the U.S. for trade, aid, and immigration, but the U.S. doesn't necessarily rely on them. Sevenzile Nakambule, a journalist from South Africa, explained this complicated relationship. Yeah, it def- definitely matters. Again, it's, it's not for the, for the common man on the street. For them, the, the link or, or, the, or the, um, the, the why it matters is not obvious. Um, but, but it matters in the sense that, obviously, we are a, a developing country. Um, our, our relationship with the, with the U.S., when we kind of think of bilateral relations, it's obviously there's a huge power imbalance, the power resting with, um, with, with the U.S. But so, so, so with us, it's about aid, right? So if you have a, um, if, if, if you have a head of state who then, you know, in terms of the, the, his, his deployments, the, you know, the ambassadors that he deploys to the different countries, um, how we relate to, to our countries, all of that matters, right? So here you had, you had Trump call our countries, African countries, um, right? S-hole countries, right? Yeah. Um, and again, frowned upon, but because, because of, of the power imbalance, it, it, was, it was inconsequential for, for the U.S., but it's quite awkward here. Another example of this sort of trickle-down effect of the presidency came from our interview with Kenyan journalist Paul Udoto Nyongyesa. He said the president has a huge impact on how financial aid is distributed to health organizations in Kenya and other countries. The big issue is over abortion. Many of these organizations are pro-choice and they do offer abortion services to women in the country, but they also provide a wide variety of other services to people. These organizations tend to get less funding from conservative administrations because they disagree about abortion. For us, the support that comes here touches on broader health issues. It's tied with the broader health. It is not just specifically on abortion. But abortion makes it like the poisoned chalice under the broad health. Because the U.S. is one of our biggest supporters in terms of HIV prevention and treatment and all groups that uh, support reproductive health. But when those restrictions come in, then a lot of the civil society programs that deal with health here almost come to a standstill because their main sponsor withdraws that support because of the agenda of pro-life. A lot of the groups that are working here are pro-choice. And so if the main agenda in the U.S. is pro-life, then most of the groups that derive their funding from the U.S., become handicapped. So even though the president may not be making an impact on each country personally, there are lots of other things in their country that eventually have an impact on people's lives. Yeah, okay, that's interesting to consider. Are there any ways the president directly affects people in other countries? One example of the president having a pretty direct effect on people's lives was with his travel bans. Many people are unhappy with immigration and travel restrictions President Trump placed on their countries. They favor Biden and the Democratic Party in general because they believe these restrictions will be loosened. Adetola Coyote, a journalist from Nigeria, discussed this issue. Remember that um, was under this administration that there is um, strict um, visa 
visa applications and requirements and uh, some certain bans, you know, where we also put in place. Uh, no country will really, you know, love that. Well, so. On the other hand, Coyote also said one possible benefit of a conservative president is they may be more willing to help Nigeria in the fight against Boko Haram. You're listening to Global Journalists, a program produced in the studios of the Reynolds Journalism Institute at the Missouri School of Journalism. I'm Isaac Robinson. This week, my classmates and Professor Beverly Horvitz's international reporting class are sharing insights from interviews with some 20 reporters from all over the world. We talked to them about how people in their countries view the U.S. presidential election. If you like what you hear, check out more Global Journalists on KBIA, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Spotify. You can also find more stories on our website, globaljournalist.org. Now, back to our conversation with MU journalism student Isabella Paxton. Isabella, it's interesting to hear that some countries aren't necessarily picking a side, but more so looking at the benefits each candidate can have for their country. Yes, that's definitely a trend we saw with some countries. There are, however, some countries with a large amount of the population that specifically supports one candidate. For example, in Montenegro, the Serbian part of the population has a general dislike for the Democratic Party. Journalist Radovan Bogovic explained this to us. It has a bit symbolical influence, but that's a long story. I, I maybe could catch it short. So uh, Montenegro's uh, part of uh, Yugoslavia at some point, and we were involved in wars in 1999 and then we got bombed by by NATO led by uh, Americans and at that time uh, Bill Clinton was the president Mm -hmm. so uh, especially for the Serbs that are living in my country it's like 30 something percent of Serbs they have really really bad memory of Bill Clinton and of Democrats and Bill Clinton so when when uh, Trump won in 2016 I think Serbia and part this part of Montenegro which which was uh, uh, Serbian they were one of the rare countries in the world that was actually really, really happy because uh, Trump won, because uh, they felt, they, they hated Bill Clinton, they hated Hillary. That being said, not everyone follows politics very closely. Interesting. If some people aren't following political movements very closely, are they following social ones? Absolutely. The social movements that have sprung up in the United States caused a ripple effect around the world, for better or for worse. One of these is the Black Lives Matter protests that have begun throughout the summer after the death of George Floyd. And part of people uh, really loved it, that people here are fighting for the global cause, but part of people, and, and it's a really big chunk of of, of, of population thought that it's a bit hypocritical that someone in Montenegro, uh, someone in Montenegro is supporting some African Americans in the U.S., while, for example, people of Roma descent in Montenegro are sometimes really being discriminated against on a similar level. It's also systemic uh, 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 racism, I would say. Mm-hmm. And nobody cares about it, but you would go because you feel like, okay, in all European countries, we have now BLM 
support protests or, or whatever, we should do it. So part of the people thought it's, it's hypocritical. It's interesting to hear that social movements started in the U.S. have made it to other countries and how they bring other social issues to light. Yes, exactly. The U.S. policies and personalities that matter to these countries vary widely, but it's clear people around the world feel that they have a stake in the U.S. election because these things have an impact on their lives. And just like those of us in the U.S., they're waiting for November 3rd to see what happens. Thank you, Isabella. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for today. It's been really interesting to hear all the different ways people around the world are following the U.S. election. Through these interviews, we've seen how not only the election itself impacts people, but also how the coverage of the election can have an impact. The results will be in in less than a week, and whether President Trump is re-elected for a second term or Joe Biden begins his first, we will be looking to see if expectations of people from around the world are met on Tuesday and beyond. We want to thank Trevor Hook for his assistance producing the show, Professor Beverly Horvitt for helping us arrange the interviews, and the journalists from all over the world for taking the time to remind us that next week's election matters to more than just Americans. With so many people around the world paying so much attention to our election, it would be a shame if you didn't exercise your right to participate. Don't forget to vote. Check us out on our website, globaljournalist.org. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Isaac Robinson with producers Isabella Paxton, Fernando Naro Roman, Jack Kazowski, and Diana Manahutu. For all of us at Global Journalists, thanks for listening, and don't forget to vote.